Hey friends, it's Heather. Welcome to Bold Mercies, where we gather to build our faith. Because hearing stories of God's great mercies encourages us to live out our own stories with boldness. You know when you meet someone and they just wear their grace-filled heart on their sleeve? It's hard to miss the radiance because they have been with Jesus. Well, that is my guest today, Tally Coughlin. I have actually been trying to get this girl on the podcast for a while now. So without further ado, let me introduce Tally to you. Join us. Tally, thank you so much for being with us today on Bold Mercies. I am so glad that you were able to join us. Oh, it's my pleasure, my joy to be with you. I'm really excited. Especially as you, where you are in in your state, you have got all of your kids home with you doing virtual school currently. I do. It's very exciting. I've got five kids all on some sort of device during the day trying to learn. It's, It's an adventure to say the least. It is an adventure. It is such an adventure. I think many listeners can relate to, man, to the like ins and outs and the highs and lows and the joys and the difficulties and challenges and triumphs of having these kids home all the time trying to do virtual school and teach them. So you are a rock star, mom. (laughs) I don't know that. (laughs) You are a rock star. So tell us a little bit about your family. Sure. Let's see. I've been married to my husband, Jordan, for 16 and a half years. And we have five kids, ages 15 to five. We've got three boys, Tyler, Jack, and Dylan, and then two little girls, Chloe and Evie. Evie was our surprise baby. We were not planning her, but the Lord has better plans, and we couldn't imagine life without her. We would be categorized as like a feeling family, as it were. Okay. <laughs> I, I am, I, my dad's from Israel. My mom is from Italy, and I just, I am, I am full to the brim of feelings. Everything is felt strongly. And so I, Hi, I gave that to gene to my kids as, and so all my kids feel things very strongly. So we are that like emotional, touching, loud family. And it's great. It, it's chaotic. It's noisy. It's silly. I wouldn't trade it for the world though. That is so awesome. So did really every single one of your kids inherit that gene? Is anybody like a, like, like a non-feeling, just kind of like not rock, rock the boat, steady Eddie kind of a person? No. <laughs> <Not one. laughs> I mean, I could, let me rephrase that. My second born Jack is very steadfast like his father. He would probably be the most even killed of them all. I mean, and I guess it depends on when you catch them. I mean, oh, of like, course, of course. For example, like if I'm talking about food and I like, I'm excited about it. I sound very intense. Like I love garlic. Garlic makes this better and this tastes so good. And so I sound, I come across very passionately. I think if you get my kids talking about something that they're passionate about, it well, really anything. They, if this, as soon as they start talking, it's, a lot of feelings. <laughs> I don't know. I love that. <laughs> it's just a lot all the time, but it's joyful. And our home is filled with laughter and, you know, I'm going to miss them when they're gone. So I'm grateful for the, this window. I mean, we've had them home for eight months during COVID and really just getting the opportunity to see them as learners in the school environment that we're doing now, see them thriving in their relationships with one another, um, giving me and my husband so many opportunities to just speak into their lives. Like we are their greatest influencer right now. And Mm. so we're trying to utilize this time to just speak into as many things as we can um, while we have them home. Has this shifted your view at all about 
homeschooling. I mean, you were not a homeschooling mom before this. Mm-mm. And so has this shifted your view at all? Like, I mean, and I've done it all. Like I've homeschooled. I've had my kids in virtual school. I've had my kids in brick and mortar. I've had some kids in school and some home with me doing kind of like an online academy or, you know, online school kind of a setup. So I don't know. Has I always wonder about moms after they've done this. Has this shifted your mindset about "Mm, maybe I'll finish out the year with them even if they go back to school? Are you like, no, when this is over, we are all ready to go back to school? (laughs) I mean, yes and no, actually. I I think it has shifted in that I don't think virtual school is actually that the best thing for them. I think that if it's a matter between virtual school and homeschool, I think homeschool might have been a better option, at least for right. my first grader and maybe my fifth grader. Now, my older kids are doing well virtually. I mean, they are more technologically savvy. They understand yes. how to utilize these formats. But the reality is they really need people. And they need peers for development, especially the little ones who learn so much in that context. And so Mm -hmm. I am a big fan of school in that they learn so much together. Now, I think I think we're going to go back to school for everybody. I, I am a big fan of teachers. I think teachers should teach. And I am not a teacher. That was never my field that I studied. And so I am learning to be a teacher. I'm learning to think that way, organize Mm -hmm. that way. And so I don't think I'm naturally gifted to teach, at least not children, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I'm learning and I'm not opposed to it. And if, if they come back in January and say, you know what, we're not going back to school this year, I might pull my first grader out and homeschool her after all. Yes, because you're so right. Virtual school, trying to get them in front of a computer and look at the computer and, yeah. you know, have be engaged over yeah. technology is really is a huge challenge. Huge well, challenge. When half the kids are like, don't know how to use it. They're unmuting themselves and you hear shouting in the background. I mean, it's just a distracting format for a first grader who can barely sit in her chair to begin with. So yes. <laughs> it's hard yes. for her. Yes. So, yes. We'll see. we'll see what happens. In we'll January. see. I know yeah. that's just what we need to do with 2020, right? We just need to say, okay, we're going to just trust God with this and just see what tomorrow holds or what the next week holds. One day at a time. One day at a time. Exactly right. So I had, I asked you to come on today because I wanted to chat with you about your journey with your son, Jack. He was diagnosed with cancer when he was two years old and was treated and able to go into remission. And then about two years ago, is that correct? He was diagnosed again. Yeah. He relapsed in May, 2019. Hmm. He had been cancer-free for five years at that point. So tell us a little bit about that story. Tell us how old he is and a little bit about that journey. Sure. So um, when Jack was two, he had been having all these ear infections and some joint pain and was just sick all the time. And so he was on antibiotics for a while. We thought we were dealing with a case of Lyme disease. And after about a month, our pediatrician was concerned because we should have been seeing some improvement at that point, and we weren't. And so we were actually uh, about to have a snowstorm. It was the winter of 2010, that snowpocalypse on the um, Mm -hmm. northeast of the country, and uh, we were getting buried in feet and feet of snow. So he wanted us to go to the hospital before that snowstorm came in case it was something serious. And so we took Jack to the hospital with our 10-week-old at the time. So I had a new baby. We took him wow. to the hospital, and at 3 a.m., you know, we're in the emergency room, 
And the emergency room doctor comes in, a social worker, a psychologist, three nurses. The room is packed to the gills. And they're like, we are so sorry to tell you this, but we believe that your child has cancer. We need to admit you and take you upstairs. Um, and we'll find out the specific nature of this disease more in the morning. And so they mm. asked us if we need anything. And we looked at each other and we we're like, no, we're, we'll just have some time by ourselves. And so they left and we wept and wept and wept and were wheeled upstairs and checked into our new room and just kind of spent the next 24 hours trying to wrap our minds around this news. Now, let me rewind a little. Before this happened, I was reading this book in my devotionals by Charles Spurgeon. I think it's called Streams in the Desert. No, no, that's not it. Besides Still Waters, maybe. I think that's what it okay. is. They're really short devotionals. And I remember reading one. I had, a, I had only one child at the time. He was probably like eight months old. He was in his little bouncy chair. And I'm reading this one and he's, refer- he's speaking to a widow. And he's like, now widow, you lost your husband and you lost your child. And he's consoling her. And I remember closing the book and, and saying to myself, no, that's not good. Like that would not be good, God. It would be bad if you took my husband and my child. I do not believe that that is good. And I wanted to throw the book away. So then you fast forward mm. to my son getting diagnosed with cancer. And it was this like break hitting moment for me where like that thing that I had feared, the bad, the bad thing that I had charged God with saying, this would be bad if you gave this to me was at my doorstep. And so Mm. Jordan and I really had to wrestle in those 24 hours in that hospital that first night. It it was where we saw like, is my faith real? Because we had been spending our whole life learning about God and about faith and trusting him and all of this. But this is that, that testing point was, do I actually believe what I've said, I believe is God still good, even though my child could die. And so I remember sitting in the bathroom in the hospital and Jack had been put into his hospital gown. So I had his clothes and I remember sitting on the bathroom floor and just taking in deep breaths of the smell of his clothes and thinking to myself, he'll never smell this way again. Like he's about to be filled with you know, fluids and chemo and who knows what else. And his smell, his essence is going to change. And I just allowed myself to grieve truly. And I Mm. felt like in that moment, the Lord met me. And it was, it it was, I mean, it was just that peace that passes understanding in a supernatural way. Like I stood up, I folded his clothes and I went back into the room and I said, okay, we've got to do this. Let's do it, Lord. Mm. And so that began three and a half years of his cancer treatment. Back then, leukemia was treated for boys for three and a half years, and he was standard risk. He wasn't high risk, so he had you know lots of chemo and steroids and vinyl taps and all this stuff. And he just because he's like his daddy, he was a little soldier, and he just kind of marched through it. You know, he never really complained. I mean, there were some significant difficult times. Don't get me yeah. wrong. Anytime he would get a fever, we were admitted to the hospital. So there was lots of that. And, and we moved to a different state during his treatment and we um, planted a church during his treatment. And so Mm. there was a lot of things that happened during those three and a half years. But during that, I'll never forget. Someone gave me this book by Nancy Guthrie called Be Still My Soul. And it's 25 contemporary and classic readings on suffering. And I read that book. I devoured it actually. And what it provided for me was a theology of suffering. And, you know, fast forward 10 years later, I have decided that 
most believers, especially most untried believers, do not have a developed theology of suffering. We really don't understand, we don't want to embrace, we kind of are repulsed by the notion of deep sorrow and suffering. We don't want it. I mean, we'll say, you know, refine me, O Lord, change my heart, you know, show me my sin, but don't make it too painful. Don't make it too difficult. Like show me some of it, but not all of it. And, you know, I think it takes going into the valley to really have the curtain pulled aside and get to see the love of the father in a different way to understand, to, to identify with Christ in a way that you can't without suffering. So that if anyone is suffering or going through a a long trial, I cannot recommend this book enough. Be still my soul. Mm. It really Mm. was manna to my soul. I mean, I highly, highly recommend it. So then Jack finished treatment in 2013. We had a huge no more chemo party it was a, it was a joy. We we really reentered into life with Gusto, and he was cancer free for five years. We actually in October of eighteen saw his oncologist, his long term provider, and they were like, "Yeah, he's basically in the cured category now." So well done. I mean, not that we had anything to do with it, but <laughs> well right. done nonetheless. And so we celebrated that. So then in May of two thousand nineteen a lot of things are going on personally in our lives. And it was, it was a rocky time for our family. And Jack comes up to me in the kitchen and he's like, Hey mom, look at this bruise. And he pulls back his shorts and it looks like like a soccer ball, like a circle on his leg. And it wasn't really a bruise. It's called petechiae. It's like if you know, you get into a car accident and the seatbelt kind of leaves that like speckled bruising on your skin, or if you mm-hmm. get like, if you rub something too hard. So he had that on his leg and that that's a sign of um, your platelets being super low. And so I saw that I was like, oh, that's weird. So I started investigating the rest of his body and looked at his chest and his arms and discovered a lot of spots on his body where he had petechiae. And I was like, all right, that's, that shouldn't be there. Let, maybe he got it from wrestling with his brothers. Let me check them out to see if they also, you know, because I have three sons, they always are touching each other, yes. wrestling, <laughs> doing something physical and active, right. injuring one another. And so I looked at the other boys and they are, their skin was clear. And so I have a friend who's a, an oncologist and I just shot her a text and I was like, Hey, what do you think about this? And she's like, it never hurts to get labs drawn. Just go ahead and make an appointment for labs. So the next day I take him to the um, clinic. We get labs drawn. I take him back to school. I'm like, but I don't think it's anything. Let's just go and check it out. Well, that afternoon, I also had three kids home with strep throat. And so I'm at the pediatrician with the (laughs) other three kids and they're all getting their strep tests. And I get a call from the oncologist and they're like, we need you to come to the emergency room. And Mm. I was like, oh man. Okay. So I get the streppy kids home and get them all tucked away and go pick up Jack. And Jordan and I go to the emergency room where He's immediately like they were expecting us. It felt very similar to when he had cancer when he was little. And I, my alerts were like, oh man, all right, I think I know what this is. So, but I didn't say anything. I was just kind of absorbing what's happening. And they sweep us back into the ED. They don't make you wait in the um, waiting room when you have cancer because of the risk of getting something that's in the emergency room. So we're back in the room and they're having a hard time getting an IV and he's just feeling anxious. And I look at Jordan and we kind of locked eyes. And I think we both knew in that moment, but then a nurse came in and she's, I was like, can I see his labs? I would, I just would like to see what the draw was. And so she pulls it up and 
I saw that his, I saw his counts and I, you know, after 10 years of being in the cancer world, you know, what counts, what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I look at it and I was like, this is a relapse, isn't it? And she looks at me and I don't think she was supposed to say it. They really need the doctor to give this news, but she's like, I think it is. And so I looked at Jordan and we both were like oh, that heaviness of like, okay, here we are. Mm-hmm. And it's different this time because we have a preteen and he has a life of his own. He's not a toddler who's just kind of going along with what mom and dad say. He's got his dreams and visions for his life and activities and soccer team. And he's, you know, he has a lot of things that he was excited about in his his life. So we went, we we wheeled upstairs and we told him, and this time he wept in our arms Mm. while we wept with him. And Mm. That was May 2019. And I tell you, Heather, this boy has blown me away in this journey. He is just a remarkable Godward young man who trusts the mm. Lord. And he suffered a lot and he's had a yeah. lot of losses throughout all of this. But I've just seen the hand of the Lord in his life. It's remarkable. I mean, he wow. is not embittered. He is not angry at God. I mean, he has lost his hair three times now. He, his whole body has changed because of steroids and the chemo and lack of activity. I mean, he's had education situations, that, uh, difficulties that he's had to overcome. He's lost his freedom. I mean, he's been, he spent over a hundred days in the hospital last year while all of his friends and family were off doing summer and school and life. I mean, his entire sixth grade was done with a private tutor at home and he just mm. has chosen to trust the Lord and the Lord has put his hand on him so that he is filled with faith to do so. It's amazing. Hmm. As a mom, I'm I'm privileged to get to watch him walk through hmm. this trial. Wow, that is so, so powerful. And we don't get to hear Jack's story over the social media and over what you get to say, but we get to see you and just know that as much as Jack has walked faithfully through this journey that God has given him, that you and Jordan, but you in particular, as I'm chatting with you, have really walked so faithfully and full of grace through this journey. And I want to go back to something that you said that not many Christians have a good understanding of a theology of suffering. And I just, I just resonate with that, with what you said. And I just am wondering for you, what do you think are some of the real roots of the theology of suffering that you have actually clung to and that have maybe given you some surprising hope in the midst of this, of this very hard journey that God has given you? Yeah, that's a good question. I, well, there's two categories. There's there's suffering and then there's lament. And that's another category that I think that believers don't discuss enough, the whole concept mm-hmm. of lament and how important that is to grieve completely. One of the things that I have had to learn and then hopefully impart to my oldest son, who's 15, is how to lament for him when Jack got sick this time. He's actually the only one of my kids who remembers Jack being sick the first time. Right, and so for right. him, he already knows, he remembers a lot of what happened before. And he had a lot of fear when Jack first got sick. And I mean, I remember being on the phone with him and he is weeping. He was weeping because he didn't, mm-hmm. I mean, we've he had to reconcile what if my brother dies. And so, you know, learn, teaching him what I had only just learned myself is that we can go to God with our grief, with our anger, with our sorrow, 
and press into him. Like lamenting gives us permission to like vocalize our pain. It gives us permission to say to God, I don't like this. I I don't want this. (laughs) It's basically like a prayer that's loaded with theology. Like I'm saying to God, I don't like this and I empty out, but then there's a but, but I will trust in you. And there's a yet, yet I know you are with me. It's it's an emptying out, but then it's got this theology of, I remember who God is and that is where I have hope. And so it's like weeping with remembering, it's sobbing, but trusting, it's crying out, but believing. Mm. And so lament mm. is, is prayer that leads us to trust, right? It starts off in this place of sorrow and it should end in a place of surrender. Wow. And so I think as we're lamenting, we're like, where are you, God? And if you love me, why is this happening? Like, why are you letting this happen? Right. Um, and somewhere in that space it, between that broken heart and God's mercy that we receive in the prayer, that's where this song of lament gets sung. It's this this transition between pain and promise. So working through that myself that like I can I I have permission to cry out and say I don't want this trial God I don't want this and end up because of who he is in a place of trust and it's really I think and that's mm-hmm. what the 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 theology of suffering is that it's really a big view of a big god right like if I have a limited view and I have a small view of god there's no way I'm going to land anywhere near trusting God because right. my problem is far greater than he is. You know, suffering really pulls back the curtain and reveals to you how little you are in so many ways. I mean, when Jack was going through cancer treatment the first time, I, at the end of his treatment, I was trying to get pregnant. I wanted a daughter. I had three sons and I wanted a daughter. And I could not get pregnant for almost two years. The Lord just closed my wound and it was very hard for me to get through. And I realized in that moment, it was easier for me to trust the Lord with Jack's cancer than it was for me to trust him for getting pregnant again, because the cancer was so clearly out of my control. I could not Mm -hmm. control that. But like getting pregnant seemed like this thing I could control. And so it seemed like he was saying no to me or punishing me or, you know, withholding this good thing from me. And so my, my view of God shrank as I was in control, but when I was out of control, my view of God grew bigger. And so I think he wanted me to land in a place where I always exist in a, in a, in a posture where God is great and I am small. Well, I'm just like thinking you, you may have seen this on my Instagram on the Bull Mercy's Instagram, but I like always love listening to my, the people that I get to chat with because I'm always like take notes. But as I had to stop taking notes because it was so much good, Tally, that you (laughs) just said. And I'm like, okay, what you actually need to do is like write this down now. Like this has to become a book. This is so much goodness that you are just sharing with us. Do you have any clear memories? You talked about, you know, you just surrender this pain and then you're able to take on a promise. This go- It moves or it transitions from pain to promise. Not that you ever transition out of pain because I'm sure that sometimes you still look at Jack, sweet Jack with the hair loss and this change because of steroids and you do feel sadness, right? And pain over that. So it's not like you close that chapter when you express that pain to the Lord. But do you have any, just looking back over the journey, any very specific sweet memories of God just helping your heart transition through that? Yeah, I mean, so here's one example. When when I had to shave Jack's head, 
the second time because his hair was falling out everywhere. And I was watching him when they, when they access his port, they stick a needle through his chest into this like device that's under the skin. That's is how, how he can, his veins can manage the chemo. And I had this thought, it was visual. I'm a very visual person. And so the Lord kind of gave me this image, like my heart's breaking. I'm watching his hair fall all around his shoulders and I'm seeing him with fear, having his chest pierced again and again. And this image the Lord gave me is that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was wounded for Mm -hmm. our iniquity. And, and like that Jack is going to be able to identify with Christ being pierced for our transgressions in a way that I will never understand because he physically has been pierced over and over. And it was like, Lord, Mm -hmm. you must love him so much to show him that side of who you are. Because not all of us will ever know what it is to be pierced like Christ was pierced. And even this is a small way that Jack will know the, the sorrow that Christ endured at the cross. And it just was this stand back moment of like, wow, this is a holy moment. And maybe it's a holy moment for me to observe now and a holy moment that he will then later in his maturity as he grows up, begin to see as he comes to know his savior in deeper and more meaningful ways. But in that moment, I was like, Lord, it made me love Jesus more. Wow. Um, it's yeah. so powerful. Just like the Bible verse that we yeah. may know the fellowship of sharing in his suffering because yeah. it's so otherworldly. It's so heavenly that sharing in Christ's suffering is one thing that that draws closer to him, help us to see his glory more, be more in tune with his spirit and know his love more. I mean, it's so otherworldly because that's nothing, first of all, that we would expect, nor probably choose if given an option. But it's how God is able to express some of his deepest moments of love and care for us. Yeah. I mean, I think with suffering, and this is something that has been a comfort to me, and maybe this is just my personality. I I know that everyone grieves differently. And I know that suffering and sorrow leaves its fingering trails on its, you know, its fingerprints on people differently and how it leaves them. But like, for me, I feel like the way the Lord led me through much of the grief and the sorrow was he would allow me to empty out. And then I felt like there was a choice and it was just really clear to me. Like I can either choose to obey the promises of God. I can choose to obey him. I can choose to believe he is who he says he is, or I don't. And I know, and I know what the outcome of that will be. Like, I know what will happen if I choose not to believe I will have greater sorrow and anger and resentment and a heart of bitterness and, and so he gave me faith in those moments of, of emptying out. I feel like he would just take me to this crossroads and, be, and and beckon me, believe who I said I am. I just think he gave me the faith to follow and to believe those truths. And, and really, it's amazing how when you're reading the Bible, you know, especially in your quiet time and your daily reading, and sometimes you just kind of gloss over words and you're reading them, but they don't really like, oh yeah, that's good. They stick and you're mm-hmm. meditating all the time. The Holy Spirit quickens those verses to you when you need them in in ways that I have just been, I mean, glory to God. It's definitely his spirit because I can't remember anything. I mean, my memory. My kids You're a mom of five away. kids. Yes. I have no brain cells left. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit, by God's grace, quickens to me these verses just when I need it, these truths 
that by his grace have been hidden in my heart, not by due diligence of memorization on my part, but by the kindness of God. And so mm-hmm. in those moments, he's been like, remember who I am. You know, like first Timothy, it's like, he's saying like, remember Jesus Christ. It's like, I have this voice, the Holy Spirit shouting to me, remember the words that I said to you, remember who I am. And that propels me down the path of having faith again. Um, when my circumstances would say, oh, this is too much, <laughs> too much. Wow. So do you have any favorite scriptures that have really ministered to you recently or over this, you know, 10 year journey that you've been walking? Yeah. Well, one of the main verses we we used when we celebrated Jack finishing his treatment was Lamentations 3 and became even more life-giving when you're 10 years down the road and back into the cancer world. And I'll read it to you. It says, but this I call to mind, it's verses 55 to 58, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now that was the celebratory verse that we had at the end of his treatment. But this is where the rest of it became a true lifeline to my soul. It says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the one who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And then it goes on. I called on your name, O Lord, from the depth of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. You have taken up my cause, O Lord, and redeemed my life. And so I'm remembering who he was, that call to remember that his love never ceases. He is always near every morning. I don't, and I think that was something I learned. Like if I, if I look too far into the future, there's no grace for that. There wasn't grace for me when he got diagnosed to think about cranial radiation. There was grace for me to take care of my son in the hospital that day. And there was grace for me, you know, a year and a half later when he did have cranial radiation. But if I jump ahead into this outside of the boundaries that the Lord has placed for me, that that's, I'm asking for grace that isn't abundant yet. The grace for me is day by day and it's enough for that day. And so I really learned to have, I had to learn how to have self-control of my thoughts, to not go too far ahead into the future because that fear resided there because. I, I just, I didn't, I didn't have answers. I couldn't see the grace that was waiting for me. And so it was day by day. I mean, there was a time in the hospital when Jordan and I were supposed to be on a trip in California together that got canceled. And I was sitting you know, next to my son who's nauseous in his bed and hairless and just kind of a sad case. And he saw me crying and I was like, but I'm so sorry we're here. And he said to me, and I will never forget this. He said, mom, if God wanted us to be anywhere else, we'd be there. This is where we're supposed to be. And I just oh, was like, my goodness. Wow. I know. Oh, All of the mouths that. of infants and children, right? I mean, he's <laughs> teaching me. <laughs> yes. Wow. We are so trained by our children, aren't we? God uses that as such a way to train a mother's heart and bend it towards grace. And I just thought, think what you said is so powerful, and I think it's worth repeating, that there's no room to look into the future because your grace is here for now, for the present. And grace for you is a day-by-day, morning-by-morning gift of God. And wow, if we can pull back our boundaries in the way that we think and what we're thinking about, about and pull them back and remember that, no, like God's grace is for this moment. Yeah. 
and then trust that God's grace will be there in the future moments, right? Right, And not even knowing what those future moments will look like. Yeah. I mean, I think that we, like, this is ultimately what it comes down to trusting God. Do we trust God even when we don't understand? If I only base my ability to trust God in what I can understand, then I've just, I've just hamstrung myself and I'm, my faith will never grow. There has to be this willingness to relinquish that demand for understanding the why God allows things to happen. I mean, he is God. I am not. It comes back to that big view of God. Like somehow I, I posture myself to think that I should be able to understand the election. I should be able to understand coronavirus. I should be able to understand why people get cancer, but I can't. I am finite. My mind is limited. And so it's, you know, you go into it with your fist up in the air, punching, like, I need to know God. Why don't I understand? Mm -hmm. But that's not what faith does. Faith, faith. And and we want to know why in, in the sense of the immediate. And we, God is telling us we need to learn to trust God for the ultimate and we have to trust him for the infinite. It's the Im- immediate demands and answer, but God is saying, no, there's so much more than that, my child. It's infinite. It's ultimate. And ultimately, if we know who God is, if we actually trust him to be who he says he is, then the knowing why becomes less important. Absolutely. You're saying so much gold right here, <laughs> right now. I just am like soaking it up. And I just wanted to say that again, because I feel like we need to just repeat that and let that soak in that we need to just trust God for the ultimate and for the infinite, that ultimately it's Jesus Christ risen in living and abiding in us. And Mm -hmm. the infinite is our heavenly home, not the finite, not what we can see, not what's right before our eyes or the circumstances that are right before our eyes, but just trusting God for the infinite. I Mm -hmm. maybe tease that out in my heart differently than then you would have teased that out in your heart. But that's what that's what your words brought to my mind. In this current season that we're in, and you know, of still walking with Jack through treatments, I assume he's still in treatments, correct? Yeah, he is. He finishes in May. Um, and that will be the end of this whole treatment. Um, and hopefully he will be cancer free from now on if by any reason he relapses again we will be getting a stem cell transplant and that'll be a whole nother thing. But by God's grace, one of his brothers is a perfect match. So we already have that lined up. And you know, it's interesting. I, I don't, I, this is a question for me. I believe this is faith in the Lord and perhaps this is me being wise. I don't know. Maybe I'm being charitable to myself, probably, (laughs) but I like part of me doesn't want to assume that this is the end of our journey with cancer. And I, I, I prepare my heart for the, if he does relapse, God will still be there. I don't want Jack to relapse. I don't want him to suffer anymore. I want to be done with cancer forever. And I want him to just go on living and thriving. But if he does relapse, I don't want it to knock the legs out from under me. You know, like I want Mm. that to be a possibility that God also exists in that if it does happen, we keep marching forward, like faithful soldiers obeying the Lord. So my prayer is that we don't, but I look at this life ahead of us with the possibility of maybe, and God will still be there in that. So, mm. Is there anything that really stands out to you about God's character in this season? And we can speak big picture season, season with 
having all of your children home now for seven or eight yeah. months and trying to learn virtual school with them. And again, you guys have moved also. Yeah, I didn't realize moved. you moved during your first, <laughs> Jack's first cancer treatment. Yep. And we did it again. And you <laughs> did it again. <laughs> this just time during a pandemic. <laughs> and during a pandemic. Right, right. I cannot, I cannot suggest it. I don't suggest it as a, as a way to move. Wait. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that was God's call at that moment. And so what has really stood out about God's character during this season, which has been a big season in the Coughlin family? Yeah, it has. I think a couple of things. I think I've learned how to pray in a new way during this season. I've been reading another book suggestion. It's called With Christ in the School of Prayer by Andrew Murray. And he just Mm. unpacks the fatherhood of God in a way that makes praying just incredibly meaningful and it, it's a very it's not dry <laughs> your prayer life changes yeah. from maybe dry and words and just a liturgy of requests to like a true relationship building and during this time I think when I've had to work harder than I ever have before you know with being a teacher and a nurse and a house you know a house cleaner and a homemaker and a dinner maker and a a supporter and a lover to my husband and a best friend to him and the new city and Mm -hmm. all of these things, all of these various hats and roles that I'm wearing. And it's a lot. And and I'm sort of isolated because of pandemic, you know, because of the inability to just jump into community life. It's kind of put a finger on what does it mean to cry out to the Lord regularly. Like not just when things are really bad, but like, and and here's where I'm going with this is that I think that we mitigate our daily difficulties as, oh, this is just hard and something I have to get through versus no, this is a trial that I'm in. And when we acknowledge that we are suffering or we are in a trial, it opens up an entire part of scripture that we probably were not utilizing to speak to our souls. Like if I am just saying this is hard and I need to muscle through it and have a good attitude about it. And the reality is this pandemic and quarantine is a trial. This is a hardship that we are called to bear. And so as if I view it as that, as I view these difficult things that have come across my path, then all of a sudden I can say, in my distress, I called upon the Lord and I cried for help. You know, he heard my voice in the temple, my cry reaches ears. And and I'm all of a sudden have words to say to the Lord versus to fill my heart with that can buoy me in my difficulty, instead of just feeling like we've just got to get through this. No, we don't. In fact, God has something for us to thrive in it. I mean, so we're, it's, it's Thanksgiving season is upon us, you know, in two and a half weeks, we're going to be carving our turkeys and gathering or maybe not gathering, depending on your circumstances. And so like, we have these next weeks to prepare our hearts to give thanks, but God wants to cultivate in us right now a heart of thanksgiving. I mean, I've been convicted of discontent when I see my friends whose kids are in private school going to private school and my kids are not in private school. And so they're home with me. And I, I mean, honestly, Heather, jealousy burst out of my heart. It was ugly. Mm-hmm. I was angry. I wanted to be like, God, this sucks. I'm mad at you. And yeah. I did. And I wrote it in my journal. And I had to confess it to him, that wickedness that I had just said, God, you're not good because my circumstances are not good. And I've decided what is good. Mm-hmm. And I realized that the antidote to a complaining, ungrateful heart is rejoicing. And is like, I, 
I need to ask God to give me eyes to see what he is already at work doing because he's always working. He is always mm-hmm. doing. He is never stopping. He, I mean, the fact that Jesus is currently interceding on our behalf is, is something to pause and give thanks for alone. And it should stop us in our tracks. Jesus, who was brought low, now sits on the right hand of the Father and is praying for every single one of us. Mm-hmm. And so I can rejoice. I have reason to rejoice. My difficulties don't go away, but I have reason to rejoice. And so it replaces my grumbling. It replaces my complaining. It helps me to take my eyes off what is around me and to take, and to turn my gaze up to the God who remains unchanged in his steadfast love, in his power, in his authority, in his provision. I think that when you when you share these things, it makes me think, man, it really makes you read your Bible differently mm-hmm. because you have got to read it when you are walking through a very hard season, which your family is hopefully walking out of here yeah. shortly. But yeah. when you're walking through a really hard season and there isn't much to be thankful about, perhaps like you aren't able to make a very long list of things that are circumstantially you're able yeah. to be thankful for, that you still can find great joy in many, many biblical truths that mm-hmm. can actually be the catapult towards joyfulness in the yeah. midst of dark season of life. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I think, I mean, so Isaiah 43, just even the Lord saying, fear not for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Um, It goes on, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. The flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. It goes on, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. Fear not, for I am with you. I mean, Isaiah is telling us God says he loves me and Mm. I will not be consumed. Even when I'm in the fire, even when I'm walking in the deeps, he, I will not be consumed. And so I, I think that theology of suffering is that the suffering doesn't have to change in order for me to know who God is and know who I am. You know, I'm his precious child. I'm valuable and precious to the, to the God of all things. And he is my savior and he is with me. Mm. That can posture me to have Thanksgiving, even though, even if my kids are home with me every day for the next 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> Which would mean they'd be into adulthood. I know. <laughs> that won't happen. I'm going to kick them out. Kick them kick them out. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I close every episode by asking, what is one thing right now making you happy? Hmm. That's a hard, I mean, my easy answer is always coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Honestly, the thing that makes me happy right now is I was sitting out on my porch just before our phone call today. And I was just looking up at the blue skies and the golden trees that are changing and just thanking the Lord for his beauty. I mean, I'm so grateful that I can look up and see majesty around me. I love fall. It's just, just one of my favorite seasons. So that is definitely filling my heart with joy right now. I love fall. I love getting to see God show off his beautiful design as the leaves change and the sun is golden. It's just wonderful to behold. I love that. That is great. Tally, it has been fantastic having you on the podcast today. Thank you for your willingness and thank you for not being 
overtly annoyed that I kept asking you to come on the podcast because <laughs> in the midst of all the craziness, I just kept asking and I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to just write her one more time. They've settled in Georgia. She's gotten a few months of school under, or not a few, a one, okay, one month of school <laughs> under your belt. I would know I'm being annoyed, but I knew you would be this good. So thankful that you were able to join us today. So thank you, Tally. You're welcome. It is all the grace of God. It is not any wisdom that has percolated out of myself, but just the kindness of the Lord and his other wiser people speaking into my heart and his grace and mercy in my life. So I'm, it's an honor and privilege to get to talk with you, Heather. I wish we could have more time. Oh, I know. I know. Amen. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. Hey guys, thanks for joining us on Bold Mercies today. If you don't mind doing us a favor, can you head to your rate and review on your podcast app? And can you write a review? This just helps other people find the podcast so that their hearts can be emboldened by the mercies of God. Thank you.